Ladies and gentlemen, now it's too late with Alan Mosley. Guys, welcome back for another episode of It's Too Late. I am your host, Alan Mosley. Joined as always, or, or at least for now, at least joined for now by the number one producer in latest, Sherry Voluntary. Sherry, how are you doing? Pretty good. You're I'm fading away. You're walk towards the light, Sherry. What the <laughs> hell's going on? It's almost as if parts of this program aren't genuine. But we're live though, right? <laughs> well, it is. It is October. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. <laughs> just now, just put that shawl you've got over your head with a cone, and you'll you'll have your you'll have your costume for this year. Oh, no. um, <laughs> speaking speaking of white supremacy, you know everybody's talking about. The big debate that just took place between neocon warlord Bill Crystal and uh, libertarian anti-war activist Scott Horton. Do we have a picture of Bill and Scott? Yeah, there they are, right there. That's that is that is a scene from the debate. You're seeing it happen. This is this is footage. That is epic um, camel toe. Boy, every everybody's talking about the debate, and and we're going to talk about it a little bit later in the show. But um, there's a few things for me that really stood out, and I'm not even going to get into the nuance of the debate. It's just some of the things that uh, old Billy Whitecastle said that just <laughs> that just blew people away. The first one was, is he said, well, well, I'm anti-war. You know, look, I, I'm anti-war. It's just sometimes we have to have wars for Raytheon. Right. <laughs> and but, I'm Daryl Hannah. <laughs> those those weren't his exact words, but he did he did actually say the exact words. I'm I'm anti-war too. Like he knew who the like, come on, you guys. We're all we're all anti-war advocates here, aren't we? So let's Absolutely. be nice. Right. <laughs> Speak speaking wow. of being nice, um, a lot of people have really hit Bill for some of his concluding remarks where instead of instead of really addressing or taking a final opportunity to address any of the points that Scott made, he just he just sort of kind of deferred and just basically said, well, you know, we have a fundamentally different, because this is how he talks. Well, we have a right. fundamentally different view of the world, and but, you know, it's it's just no good for us to have a debate. Nobody yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Dave, for that. <laughs> but... But, you know, we, we, we have to argue in good faith, right? Like, the only way we can have a useful debate is if we come to the table and we have this attitude that both of us are arguing in good faith. Because, because that's what we're missing, y'all. We're not, we're not letting the neocons have good faith. <laughs> Bill, good there's a, faith. There's a million dead babies that are uh, crying in their graves right now. Yeah. Thanks, Billy. And uh, and the last thing is, and may, maybe bigger than all that, was, you know, the debate was really about foreign policy. But it's hard mm. it's hard to talk about anything and not talk about economics some. Because economics right. is, like, involved in everything, right? Yes. And, yes. and Crystal made the comment that, well, there's really no point in us even going into this, this kind of crackpot conspiracy theory that we're going broke off the wars because because they're totally affordable. It you know the the Pentagon budget isn't really that much. You know there's there's other domestic issues that 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 are the cause of our national debt. It's not the wars. The wars are affordable, and it's like wow, this is this is kind of along the same line as the whole Joe Biden thing where he said, well look we're going to pass a three and a half trillion dollar bill, but it's actually going to be a zero dollar bill because we're going to find ways to pay for it. <laughs> 
That's like how that's the same thing, right? It's the same thing as me saying, well, look, I know we spent trillions of dollars in Afghanistan, but if you think about it, I mean, what's trillions between friends, right? Right. Like military yeah. industrial contractors have got to eat. But they're Jeez. starving. They're starving. Yes, they're literally starving. Literally. Um, Jesus. Boy, it reminded me of the joke we forgot from last week. What you know, if Congress is appropriating any more dollars this week, my pronouns are Iron Dome. Right. <laughs> anyway, we're gonna save the rest of that talk for our guests later in the show. But moving on, Jacksonville Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer has been in the news. He's in hot water. Check out this right here. Here's a little video of him was taken at an Ohio bar after their most recent game, where he was getting a little. A little hot and bothered there by a blonde shorty that just in case you're wondering, that co-ed is in fact not his wife. <gasps> you don't say. You know, you know what's funny is, is that in that bar, because that bar is an, it's a big Ohio State thing and he used to coach at Ohio State. They actually have a mural of him and his wife on the wall behind the bar oh. where he was getting backed up on by that chick. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so awesome. Back that thing up, girl. But really, no. this should come as no surprise to people that have followed Urban Meyer's career for any number of years, because he's always had trouble with tight ends. <laughs> wow. Even I get that. <laughs> I was going to sing the jingle, one of these things is not like the other, but really all three of those are very much not like the others. Yes. Yeah. True. Speaking of tight ends, bad news, Catholic Church is back in it. The Catholic Church of France has recently done a commission that found that thousands of pedophiles have operated inside the French Catholic Church since 1950. <laughs> as many, at, at least, excuse me, at least 3,000 pedophiles have been working within the church. That's out of 115,000 oh. priests and staff. 3,000 of them were pedophiles working in the church from all the way back to Ooh. 1950. Yeah, um... By the way, I really love the headline they used of that the pedophiles have been operating within the church. So so, so now from now on, when anybody says anything to, I'm, to me, I'm going to say, I operated inside your mom last night. Right. Got him. <laughs> wee wee. <laughs> oh, man. I, we need help. <laughs> I, I showed a friend of mine uh, that headline, and he said, you know, far be it for me to judge the cloth, but... Um, that seems like a really high percentage of the priests within the church. Doesn't it, though? Such a high percentage that one one might actually think, you think the other ones would have known something was amiss. Hmm. It's almost as if they look the other way. No. Never. <laughs> Shocked Never. and outraged, am I right? Yeah, exactly. Um... You know what? That's really going to have to do it for this week's monologue because we've got so much more in store for you tonight. We're going to be back with the meme of the week and the viewer mail right after this commercial break. Don't go away.
So if there was a healthy baby selling market, then <laughs> then what inevitably would happen is, is that middlemen entrepreneurs would come into the marketplace. And so then they right. would be the ones who would buy and sell the babies. You know, they would buy the babies at wholesale right. and then they would and then they would yeah. mark them up and resell them to the public, right. just like everything baby else. Profits. Right. Yeah. Just like They'd everything be getting else. rich on baby profits. And those babies would be alive. Correct. I mean, physically, not emotionally, but. Right. <laughs> Their little eyes. They would have little dead eyes. Oh. Sherry's freaking out, by the way, off screen, because I said <laughs> we're way over time. We got we got no time for abortion talk this week. And then what do I do after the commercial? Abortion, abortion talk. Hey, uh, it's abortion circus. <laughs> well, some, our, our friend Lyle made the he, he brought the meme to life. He had uh, Alan's dead baby flea market. He he made that oh, for us. I didn't. I, didn't I forgot. I should have. I should have shared it. Oh well. Um. Hey, Sherry. Yeah. What time is it? Meme of the week. Feels like a TLC. Putin talking points, and the Scott Horton says, "You've activated my trap card. This isn't MSNBC." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I shared that with our friend uh, Mike Meharry, and uh, he, he said he was sad to report he's far too much of a boomer to understand. <laughs> he's like, "What are cartoons? Where's the rabbit?" Like, like <laughs> I don't watch Yu-Gi-Oh, but I like I understand what it means right. that yeah. Scott Harton won and Bill Crystal lost. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because in Japan you play card games and the loser goes to the shadow realm. Yes. Got really excited there. <laughs> I did, yeah. yeah. I like Japan. I um, like the Shadow Realm. I I love Japanese women. Mm, me too. <laughs> but we do have a bonus. We're just going to leave that. We do have a bonus meme. Check out the bonus meme. Uh, Fauci says it's too soon to tell if we're going to be able to gather for Christmas or not. And uh, that's what everybody has to think about that. <laughs> Like, damn shame that that 100,000 people there won't be able to see their family for Christmas. They will get to see yeah. the Rebels get ass-blasted by the Crimson Tide, though, apparently. But yeah. at least On they the got... field as God intended. At least they got to see those tight ends in person, am I right? <laughs> they paid tickets to see that. Can you imagine? Right. I wonder if there are any priests in the audience. The market doth provide. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, boy, this is, this is going We're somewhere. Going yeah. We better let's before well before we do that let's answer the viewer mail. I wonder how many people have read this. I feel like what we should do is the first person who goes back and watches the video and, and slow and does it in slow mode and like types out what that said and sends it to us, we'll get them like an Amazon gift card or something. Oh, of like five dollars. I mean, it'll 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 be you know representative of what we make right. on the show. Right. It's the thought that oh, then we should send them the Dollar Tree gifts. <laughs> yes. Well, not well, I mean, not with inflation. No, their prices are going through yeah. the roof nowadays. It's like a buck oh five yeah. now. So Ooh. yeah, um, you know, Facebook was down the other day on the day that we solicit the viewer mail, uh, and so people, figures. 
So so kudos, by the way, to the people who came in last minute to to give us the viewer mail. Uh, David Willimowski, of course. Of course. <laughs> David Willimowski, Liberty Late Night, says, Dear Alan and Sherry, would you switch to lab-grown meat if it was delicious and inexpensive? You know, oh. so first of all, when you say lab-grown meat, do you mean it's actual meat, though, that's grown in a lab? Or do you mean it's like plant substitute? Because that's not meat. Because right. you might remember me and Blake did an impossible Whopper taste test on the show. Right. And I said it was yeah. awful, and I put it away. He said it was awful, and he ate the rest of the burger. <laughs> so so he would And probably. he's not around anymore. And yeah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the people who ate an impossible Whopper died of the coronavirus, I think. It's it's like, to me, it's like test tube babies. Like, are those really people? I, would I you know. eat a test tube baby? If it was if it was delicious and inexpensive, <laughs> I'm I'm leaning towards yeah. I mean we got it. You got to give it a try. As long as it's real meat, test tube baby meat, so, so, and not so plant based. Dave, you bit off more than you could chew this week. <laughs> <laughs> if it's a real well, baby, then yes. <clears throat> yeah. Jonathan Carranza writes, uh, dear Anna Sherry, what is your favorite bird? Um. Sherry, what's your favorite bird? Uh, my favorite bird are Michael Burden, Bolden's birds. Yeah, that's my favorite. Crimson birds. and turquoise, or, and root, yeah, 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 turquoise and crimson. Um, they're so cute. I mean, by default, my favorite bird is chicken. <laughs> yeah. You, you didn't say what stage of the process that the bird was in. Yeah. But well. if you can't, ha but if, but if, but if the baby bird is delicious and inexpensive. <laughs> And and from a test tube, does it matter? Man, what a time to be alive, really. <laughs> this is, you know what this episode I'm so is? I'm glad I'm here right now. This episode <laughs> is one of those episodes where it feels like two different shows are taking place. Doesn't yes. it? Doesn't it? Okay. I, I think it did. Yeah. It did. Uh, Jeff Johnson writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, did you hack Facebook? I didn't hack Facebook, but you know what's funny about that is that Facebook is down for like a day and everyone's boo-hooing and, and, and they go to Twitter and they type hashtag delete Facebook. And my, my comment was is that when Facebook came up, I was like, this is such great news because now I can leave Twitter where I was telling all the millennials that they're gay and go back to Facebook where I can tell all the boomers they're gay. Yeah, all the gayness. That's great. It's important to have a consistent message, I it think. That's true. I, I, I agree. Messaging is important. And goodness knows, I did not have pack Facebook because I can hardly use Facebook. So yeah. there we go. I'm shocked my <laughs> camera even came back on just now, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> Matt S. writes, we actually got some viewer mail from Twitter this week because Facebook wasn't working. And honest to God, some people on Twitter actually gave us viewer mail. Wow. I might just be done with y'all on That's Facebook. I might be. Uh -oh. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, y'all, y'all, I'm done with y'all. Yeah. Yo, Matt S writes, dear Alan and Sherry, is bingo the name of the dog or the farmer in the B I N G O song? So there, mm -hmm. there was a farmer who farmer had a dog had a and dog. bingo was his name. -o. So the dog's yeah. name is bingo. I feel, I feel like the punctuation is important. Yeah. Like, I know you can't see it when you sing it, but I feel like if you were reading it, you would get yeah. You get it. The dog's name is Bingo. The farmer's name is David Farmer. Koresh. 
<laughs> <That's>... <laughs> there... With the dog 14, though? <laughs> Shit. If... Delicious and inexpensive. <laughs> um, I've eaten dogs, yeah. My, Michael go. Bolden writes, Dear Alan and Sherry. Oh. Michael Bolden, hey, the 10th Amendment Center, writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, why is Facebook down? It's... So I'm I so I tweeted out, Facebook is down. I need questions. And Michael Bolden says, Why is Facebook down? <laughs> That's the level of engagement Thanks. that we have. Thanks, yeah. Boldy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna see him next week. I know. I'm, I'm jealous. See, yeah, I'm gonna see everybody next week. And I'm going to tell all of them that they're not real libertarians. Yeah. Except for like the 350 pound ones. They're, they're real libertarians. <laughs> um, Andrew Avery writes, Dear Alan Sherry, if you have an idea for some clever wordplay, but the punchline just isn't there, do you have a pun in the oven? <laughs> so oh, I really identify with this because not only is it a shitty pun, but most most of what I have is clever wordplay with no punchline. That's 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 what's what the show. I'm gonna I'm gonna go when we're done with this. I'm gonna go on Twitter and I'm gonna update my profile to clever wordplay with no punchline. That's good. Yeah, that's good. I like. Yeah. Are you okay? Are you all right? You... <laughs> it's hot over in here. This studio lights they be getting right. hot. That's okay. all I'm saying. All right. Uh, Celeste Dennis writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, what kind of pie should I make you when I visit my parents next month? Celeste is coming down this way next month, and she is an expert pie maker. But the yes. problem is, I don't even like pie. I like cake. And see, this is wrong because I happen to love pie way over cake. It is so much better than cake. And I won't even be here. I'm missing out on Celeste pie. Yeah. Well. I'm really bummed. Boy, that's just sad news all around, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm missing everybody. Yeah, so Celeste, my favorite pie is yellow cake with chocolate icing. Such basic bitch cake, man. Don't Then don't <laughs> you fucking touch it then. <laughs> Whoa. Although I would sneak some cake. I'm just saying, but I love pie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got a little aggressive there, but I'm I'm protective of... <laughs> don't, don't drop that shit. Um... Mary Lynn Willemowski writes, Dear Alan and Sherry, do you hand out candy for Halloween? Do you guys hand out candy for Halloween? Uh, well, we live at the end of a dark cul-de-sac. So, yes, we always get a bowl of candy, but I always get what I like because we usually end up eating it because they, they just don't come down here. It's too scary or they don't see. I don't know. I just hand out pocket constitutions and Ron Paul bumper stickers. That's, <laughs> that's what I do. And Cheetos. Cheetos. You know, I... <laughs> No, I don't. We don't. We don't. We don't have children. So, so be, because of local statutes, children don't actually come over here. So mm. that's just, you know. <laughs> you have to stay within so many feet of a school, yeah. Alan. <laughs> uh, Ryan Seifert writes, Dear Alan Sherry, is peanut butter a condiment? So peanut butter actually is not a condiment, Ryan. Peanut butter is a spread. I feel like he's trying to hone in, horn in on your food questions here. Well, he was doing so good there for a few weeks, but he you got he was on fire. You got to stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, bro. Jesus. Eric Eli <laughs> writes, "Dear Alan and Sherry, would you be bugged if you found out that I really was a Fed listening in on you?" You see, he said, "Would you be bugged?" 
So so oh. Ryan's trying to horn in on my food quiz, and Eric's trying to horn in on Andrew Avery's puns. And yes. Clay, didn't, Clay didn't give us one this week. I think he's still pretty upset about the other day when I told him. Right. I rebuked him. And so, in the name of and so we and so we've now lost fifteen percent of our audience. Crap. <laughs> yeah. There goes twelve cents. Uh, couple, we're we're God, we're so far over time. So we were just going to do a couple more. <laughs> um, Suzanne Sherman writes, "Dear Anna Sherry, what did you do with your day when Facebook was down?" Um, the same thing we do every day, Suzanne. Try to take over the world. That's right. Very good. Oh, I got one. <laughs> Very <Please>. good. Damn <laughs> shame you're going to be leaving us. <laughs> I know. Um, departed. Last one for this week. Lyle Dario writes. Actually, what Lyle wrote was, oh, crap. And I said, hey, oh, crap, question mark. Because, you know, he didn't do it in the form of a question. And then right. he said, um, I missed I missed the viewer mail. To which I replied, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking to you before right the show. So yeah. you could do viewer mail. To which Lyle said, Dear Alan Sherry, if robots are taking our jobs and so are the illegals, are robots illegal? I feel like that's sort of like a no true Scotsman type fallacy. Yeah. But but robots can't be Mexicans. Well, what if they're made in Mexico? Well, that, that doesn't make them Mexicans. That it makes them dirty, but it doesn't make them Mexicans. Oh, shit. Um <laughs> I feel like all. I feel like that's something we could argue. All robots are Japanese, I think. Even even oh. if it's made by an Italian guy, all robots are. What what do they call them? They're all Gundams. They're all Gundam. robot warrior yeah. things. Yeah. Let's do it. Are they female though? Um, the robots have transcended us. They. <laughs> all the people that are that are like talking about like a genderless society. That's that's Skynet. Oh. All of those people. That's what that is. Yes, correct. Now this Fine. show, I feel like, has become three different shows. This is three. <laughs> th we've we've edited in snippets of three separate episodes and put them together this week. Wow. Yeah. That's. I mean, crazy kudos to us. The editing is so like seamless, you can't even tell. And I'm right. wearing the same clothes. <laughs> so. Uh, on that note, guys, we're going to be back with Patrick McFarlane, the host of Liberty Weekly, right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Your ad could be playing right now, reaching thousands of potential customers. Sadly, it's not, but it could be. Find out how to be an advertised sponsor for It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. Email us at info at alanmosley.tv. Guys, welcome back to the show. Our guest this evening is the host of the Liberty Weekly podcast, a show about volunteerism, libertarianism, anarcho-capitalism, property rights, and Austrian economics. The show features discussions of libertarian theory, current events, geopolitics, social issues, and employs guest interviews. You can find more at the website libertyweekly.net. Patrick McFarlane, welcome to the show. Hey, Alan. Thanks for having me on. I've been a fan of yours for a while and Sherry Voluntary, the lovely Sherry Voluntary and... Uh, <laughs> 
it's great to connect with you guys. Truly great. Well, it, it's it's perfect timing for you to come on and say that because Sherry's going away. She'll never work in this town right, again. Right. This is it. <laughs> this is the end of Sherry. You won't see me around here anymore. Um, I so, so I I, I want to start off for for audience members who may not be familiar with you. Uh, tell us a little bit, Patrick, about about yourself and your background and what exactly is Liberty Weekly. Yeah, so I'm I'm a practicing uh, attorney in in the state of Wisconsin. Ugh. I was, a... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, that's funny enough because in in my career so far, like attorneys have like I don't know, just been the worst part about practicing law. So. I, I passed the bar. Um, well, I, yeah, I passed the bar in 2018. So I've been practicing since then. I'm not currently in private practice, but um, I'm working in real estate at a, a title company. But um, when I, I started the Liberty Weekly podcast when I was, uh, I think, in my second year of law school, as if I wasn't busy enough at that point already. <laughs> and it was just because I was so... I was so obsessed with libertarianism because I had found it in maybe like 2014 and I was annoying the shit out of my friends and family <laughs> and I needed an outlet. And so that was my outlet. And I thought it would make things better, but it, alas, it did not. It made things a lot worse. Now, now that's interesting that you, you'd say that you, you kind of kind of finding your way into that sphere of thought at the same time as you as you're going through law school. Uh, let me let me start off with kind of asking a little bit of question out of left field. Do you feel like do you know of or do you feel like your political beliefs and the fact that you're pretty open? I mean, you do a podcast, so you're, you're pretty open about what you believe and your your views on things. Do you feel like that's affected you professionally in any way? Well, it's funny you ask that. I I actually so I started at a small firm doing general practice, and then I left that firm to join a much larger firm that did personal injury uh, personal injury work. And I have my own pet theory, but things kind of ended at that firm, not by my choice. And there wasn't really a reason given, except you know we just don't think it's a good fit, and maybe you should try something else. But I think that they might have discovered my online activity. So I, I don't know. It's just kind of speculation. But there, there could be any number of reasons. But that firm was very, very, very progressive. And mm -hmm. looking back, I think I dodged a bullet because I'm sure that, you know, they're, they went completely remote, remote at the beginning of the pandemic. And you just can't practice law that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's. You know, that's that's interesting. I know that there's a lot of people, especially in the times that we live in now, where you feel like your your personal decisions, your political beliefs, um, that can absolutely affect you professionally. And and I know that a, a lot of us grew up, you know, in that in that era where where your elders taught you, you know, you don't talk about certain things at the dinner table, right? Or you don't talk about certain things at the water cooler at work. You know, you don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. Uh, and, and, and I can definitely see wisdom to that. You know, why, why bring divisive things into a environment where it, they don't really matter, right? Like you have a job to do, it shouldn't make a difference. But on the other hand, we're also people that talk a lot about association and disassociation and, and wanting, wanting to build community with like-minded people, but also wanting to eschew people who don't share our beliefs. But I, I guess your story is interesting because, you know, that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? You know, that we, we believe those things, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that I don't believe those things. But it seems like very often that comes back to bite us 
<laughs> more and more than it does to bite our political opponents. Would you say that's true? Yeah, I think it is. It is true. But at some point, I just get tired of the double standard is that, you know, I'm not I'm not supposed to say anything. I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut. But at the same time, everyone around me is just spewing garbage and, and bringing politics into it. So, you know, frankly, I, I'm fed up with it and I'm not going to normal. You know, I, I'm going to work to normalize my point of view. And and there's there's a way that certain uh, libertarian figures are are able to speak quite frankly about our beliefs in a way that doesn't make them see like a crank seem like a crank. It makes them seem like, well, of course, I believe this. Why? Why wouldn't I believe this? And I, I admire that quality. Well, you said you started Liberty Weekly right in the middle of law school, 2018. We're we're getting dangerously close to 2022. How has uh how has Liberty Weekly uh, evolved over that time? How have you evolved over that time? Yeah, it's been a crazy journey, man. Um, when when I started out, you know, I, the Tom Woods thing, and I I wanted to blog, so I was blogging, and I had. There was a roommate who introduced me to Stefan Molyneux back in in the golden days, I would say. <laughs> uh, he, he's changed since then, as have I. But um, but basically what happened is, you know, I I started the show with um, with Jerry. Uh, he was the guy who introduced me to these ideas. And I we had really good chemistry and Jerry is a very smart person, but we would film it in person and that just kind of fell by the wayside. And it was always kind of my project. So I, I continued on with it. And what I was doing at the beginning was really doing researched work, uh, mostly audio format, but well-researched work in kind of a scripted format that I think is different than a lot of the talk shows that you'll see in the libertarian sphere today. Um, but then I got more into the interview mode as because interviews I found took less time. So in the middle of the show, there's about 185 episodes right now. But in kind of in the middle of, of that number, I did a lot of interviews because it just practically time speaking. Mm -hmm. That was all I could muster. But now I really am trying to return to that well-researched uh, kind of more scripted, but, you know, something that is a deep dive. Now, that's really interesting to me. I, I hope that that's interesting to our audience as well, because that I... I really feel what you're saying. We, you know, we started this show um, as the gold standard, uh, which was very much more uh, kind of your your stereotypical libertarian talk, where it was myself, my producer, who who died of goat AIDS, very sad. But um, <laughs> and and we had a lot of guests. You know, we started off mostly doing things solo and mostly saying, you know, here's a topic that I I write about or I have researched, and let me share this with the audience. It's kind of like, oh, well, I I have the stuff here. I might as well put on a little presentation for you guys. And we did that for a while, and and there were certainly some people that would write uh, I'll I'll give a perfect example we 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 put on a big old presentation about the Armenian genocide and I actually had a handful of people of Armenian descent write me and say hey thank you that I really enjoyed that I think that was very well done it's just nice to see someone just have some interest in in that in that history and that you know that made me feel really good but we're talking about a handful of people out of you know millions and millions of people in the world, right? And so we started right. doing more interviews, and we had every you know we have Ron Paul and Jeff Deist and Lou Rockwell and Tom Woods and Michael Bolden. I mean, you know all all the all the uh, usual suspects, and that was fun too. But then I I started I kind of like you I started to come around to this thing of well, 
like the whole show is basically look who's here today. I didn't really do anything. And don't get me wrong. Sometimes you need a week off. And so you just call up your friend Patrick McFarlane and say, hey, would you like to come on the show? Because you don't feel like doing anything this week. But <laughs> but I feel that. But but sometimes you're like, but I don't really feel like I've added anything to the conversation or I'm just asking this person questions that they've been asked a million times in other places. And so out of wanting to do something different that I felt like not many people out there were doing, we changed to this. We're doing the whole late night thing, which is sort of kind of a mix of politics, but try to have a little bit more fun. So it's like, man, I like you and I like that. There's like that curve in there, you know, where you go through these, go through these things. So what would you say to date is something you're most proud of out of all your content? There's a couple things. One of the things I'm most proud of, I think, is being a part of, of Scott Horton's Libertarian Institute. Mm. And at this point in time, I can't even remember how this came together because I think I joined the Libertarian Institute and then somewhere along the road, I realized that it was Scott Horton's thing and that he was the director of it. And I, I think the first time I interviewed him, I was like, hey, I'm, you know, I don't, we haven't met, you know, my name is Patrick McFarlane. And he's like, yeah, I know who you are. Like you wouldn't be on the Libertarian Institute if I didn't know who you were. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, I'm, I'm a total idiot. <laughs> so one of those things, but I, I think some of the things I'm most proud of is some of the earlier episodes that I did, like the vintage stuff, I really put a lot of work and research into those episodes and some of the video content that I've done, especially about moral injury and soldiers killing in war and the toll that takes on their emotional health sure. uh, is, is some of the work I'm most proud of. Well, that's great. I, I think uh, I think uh, that was in my feed fairly recently. You did an episode talking about why soldiers can't kill. If I'm if I'm remembering that correctly, um, but there was another thing in your work recently that I wanted to bring up uh, that was you you decided, I mean, of course, leave it up to a lawyer to get involved in things. Right. <laughs> you decided you've had enough of of pandemic hysteria and you wanted to actually make your voice heard and and form some some type of seeds of resistance at the local level. Um, tell us a little bit about how that went for you. Yeah, it went wonderfully. And I think part of that is not really a testament to me as much as it is a testament to my community. And and this is the town I grew up in. So uh, I, I kind of, in a way, I kind of dox myself in my episode talking about it. But there's there's two counties in the state of Wisconsin that are the least vaccinated counties in the state. And that's Clark and Taylor County. And it's kind of like in in the heart of Wisconsin. And there's this thing about Wisconsin is that people call it like the state of Madison and the state of Milwaukee, because those are the two areas that dictate policy for the rest of us. And people here just, they generally speaking, they don't buy it. I mean, it's a, it is a deep red uh, Clark and Taylor, they're deep red counties. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, uh, Biden came out with the mandate. And of course I viewed myself as being active in this space for years but my activism has only really been online. And you you really, I mean, you see numbers on a screen about how many people you're reaching, but you really don't get a sense of it. And there's a lot of skills that I feel like I've developed both as an attorney and as a podcast host and a content creator. So I was like, well, shit, I can write a speech. I can, you know, I, I write speeches for my podcast all the time. So why don't I just whip one together 
my friend or excuse me, my, my parents live in this community too. And they know pretty much everyone and everyone knows everyone around here. So I called up someone that owns a supper club in town and I, I, I knew that he felt the same way. So my parents had talked to him uh, for dinner, over dinner and drinks one night about it. And I said, hey, you know, I want to hold this event where we kind of kickstart resistance to all this. And he said, I'm your man. And so we plotted a date and I made a poster. I text messaged this poster to him. And that was literally all I did to set this event up. And a week later, we held the event and there were hundreds of people that came hundreds of people. There was standing room only in the venue. It was a supper club. Uh, people were very enthusiastic. And I crafted my message the way that I thought uh, the great, the good Dr. Paul would. And it really resonated with people. And I think um, as libertarians, we're uniquely positioned to be leaders on this issue, a lot of issues too, but uniquely for this issue because we have the best message and the best political philosophy. Well, I think too, and I really, I really appreciate your approach. Is that you know, it 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 makes me think of our friends Bolden and Meharry and the Tenth Amendment Center and nullification, um, but but not just looking at it from a constitution Tenth Amendment standpoint, but look looking at it from just a practical, effective standpoint of, you know, you could have you could have written a strongly worded email to your congressman. You you could have done that, and of course it would have gone into the waste bin along with every other one that 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 does. Mm -hmm. But instead of instead of saying, "Hey, I need to go talk to my congressman," you said, "Hey, I need to talk to my neighbors," because we're a thousand miles away from Washington D.C. out here, and if if us and the four or five hundred thousand people around us all decide we're going to live a certain way, I mean, you know, we don't live in a free world, right? But that. The, the world that you're living in right then and there is about as free as you can be if everyone there says, well, we're going to live our lives the way we want and we're going to support each other. And, and you know, like th this is not a community of people that are looking up the FBI, uh, you know, anonymous tip line. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really appreciate that. I, I just want to I just want to say I, I'd like for you to say a few more words about it. But I just want to say bravo. That's that's a hell of a way of going about doing it. And mm. I think and I think. If anything, I'd like you to talk to other people who might be listening right now to say, well, that sounds great, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm dragging my feet. I'm scared. I don't know what the reception's going to be. I'm afraid I'm going to do all this and three cranks are going to show up and, and they're all going to be feds. And then, you know, <laughs> and then they're going to find, then they're going to, then I'm going to be Hillary Clinton. So what do you say to people out there that really like what you're saying, but they're afraid of getting involved? Well, when I was getting ready for my speech, I read uh, Patrick Henry's infamous Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death. And I think that really steeled me and gave me the confidence, I guess, to to go and, and give the speech that I did and try to rally people in, in real space. And it's if you read his speech, it's very it's eerie how applicable it is right now. And. Practically speaking, in a lot of ways, I didn't really think about the consequences of it. I didn't, I didn't stop to consider those things, and and it might come back to bite me. Um, but at, at this point, I don't care. It's it's like how what is is I, I forget what he says, but it, is peace so sweet that it should be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? And at this point in time, I really do believe that this is the battle of our generation, of our lifetimes, and that we. We are truly facing 
the complete sunset of human liberty on this earth. And if we don't act now, I think the, the final bricks are being put in the prison cell right now. And if we have any chance, and I'm doing this, you know, for my children, and I, I don't know what else could motivate a person if not fighting for their kids. Well, well said. Uh, on that note, Patrick, stay with us, guys. We're going to be back to talk a little bit about foreign policy and an interesting conversation that happened up in Soho recently, right after this commercial break. Don't go away. If you're enjoying tonight's show, consider supporting the program by becoming a member of our Patreon. That's over at patreon.com slash Mosley. So last week was so good, and now we're back to the we're back to form, know, are we, I Sherry? I yeah, I I forgot to do it early. So. That's all right, uh, guys. We're joined again tonight by Patrick McFarlane, host of the Liberty Weekly podcast. Uh, Patrick, I don't. Before we get to the big debate talk, I wanted to mention one other thing we had discussed. Uh, you did some content recently talking about our friend uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who was just the darling of the libertarian community there for about five mm. minutes because she was a le a left wing politician that was speaking truth to power and and talking bad about the American Empire. Those days seem like they're in the rear view, are they not? Oh, they sure are. And this is, I'm afraid, the Tulsi Gabbard that we always had. Mm -hmm. I, I remember I put out a segment uh, a couple of years ago saying the title of it was Tulsi Gabbard is no friend of liberty. Mm -hmm. And I, I talked about a few things, but I specifically talked about the fact that, you know, Tulsi Gabbard is not, she's not anti-war. She's anti-regime change war. Mm -hmm. And she's not, you know, anti-terror war. She is specifically anti-Islamic jihadist terrorist, you know, and, and as a part of this, she had a segment on Tucker Carlson a couple weeks ago, I think maybe last week where she was basically, there was also a statement she put out on September 11th, talking about how we two, you know, two planes came out of the clear blue sky basically. And that history began on September 11th and the Islamic jihadists attacked us because basically because it's a it's a violent religion and they they hate us for our freedoms basically well it's i mean that that is a shame and of course you know i'm sure you and i would say well sure i'm against regime change wars well well it's just if you're leaving the door open to leviathan to determine the ifs and buts it's going to get its way. Like, how naive could we be after all of this time to sit here and say, "Well, if we if we leave it wiggle room, surely it'll 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 come to heel this time." So that's just ridiculous. But speaking of someone who's not a completely uh, hollow, useless anti-war advocate, our friend Scott Horton finally had his uh, much-awaited, multiple-time rescheduled debate with uh, neocon uh, warhawk Bill Crystal. Uh, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, what maybe you're just kind of, cause I know you've already discussed this. I know a lot of people have maybe a few of your just sort of highlight moments of the debate between the two, the things that really stood out to you that if you were talking to someone who hasn't watched it yet and say, look, this is what you got to look out for. Well, first off, just to frame the immense importance and the moment in time for the anti-war movement of this debate, this, I, I cannot over 
overstate the importance of this debate. Sure. This is the the chief neoconservative, um, the the wonk that they they haul out for to justify every single war. This is a guy who never saw an intervention that he didn't like, and the fact that Scott Horton, who not not to um, I, I mean Scott was a he'll say this he was a cab driver, you know. The fact that Scott Horton can start a radio show interviewing some of the most, I don't know, some of the most important people in the anti-war movement and also some of like people in Washington and that he gets a chance to swing against Bill Kristol is just incredible. And I, I want to say that Scott's performance was was pretty as close to flawless as you could get. He hit on every single punch. He had the greatest comebacks for every single weak assertion that Bill Crystal made. And so some of the highlights that I would point out would be that basically Bill Crystal gets up there and spouts platitudes that you would hear on, you know, NBC segments, like 30 second NBC segments. Mm -hmm. Let's get up there and make every hollow assertion that we can. Let's make every zombie lie that we can is the lie, uh, to quote Joanne Leone, one of my friends from Around the Empire podcast, uh, the lie that just won't die. You know, Assad gassed his own people. Um, he did admit that WMDs uh, turned out not to be true. So I guess we get that. But he, he had no arguments, basically. And at, at halfway through the debate, uh, when, it was, when it was Bill's time to respond to Scott, he ceded his time. He forfeited his time to address Scott's points. And he, he, you know, Scott would say something that just utterly destroyed what Bill said. And he, there was no comeback to it. So he just like kind of, you know, s smiled and, and smirked and then shrugged his shoulders as if like he disagreed with the assertions Scott was making. But at the same time, Scott wasn't just making assertions. He was doing what Scott does, pointing out dates uh, statements, uh, events, things people were saying, facts, statistics, all these different things. And, and, and Bill, it was like he, he almost didn't even know what he had said in the past, and he didn't know any of these facts. And it, it was really just a sight to behold. And Bill ended up forfeiting his, he, he gave his, um, his final rebuttal, his final, his closing statement, he gave it sitting down from the chair and wouldn't even walk to the podium. And then when the debate was over, he scampered off stage and uh, quickly, I think he shook Scott's hand, but I don't think he looked him in the eye and then he ran off. So, well, <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm going to try my best to play a little bit of devil's advocate here because we love Scott and, and it absolutely was an amazing performance um, and so since I know everyone's going to be gushing about that, and rightfully so, I, I, I feel like I, I want to at least try to make a few counterpoints just, just for the sake of conversation. Now, I, I, know, sure. I know one thing that, that a lot of people have brought up was, uh, so I believe it was Crystal who had brought up the oh, Assad. He's, he's gassing a half a million of his own people. And, of course, that's something that I know Scott would not just allow that assertion to fly by. But, of course, in the context of a debate, lots of things are flying back and forth. There's time constraints. I think, I think that might have been one thing that Scott just didn't have time to get around to. But, but, it's, but unfortunately, that's part and parcel with exactly the sort of arguments that Bill Crystal would make, is that, well, if, you know, because Crystal, I feel like he's 
again, and I and I'm not and, and I'm not condoning what he's saying. I'm just saying, as a matter of fact, I feel like part of his strategy was I know I'm walking into an environment where there's a lot of quote liberty-minded people, so I'm going to speak a little bit of their language and say, well, I don't just want liberty for you and me. I want liberty for everyone, and we can't just have Assad gassing a half a million people. So I don't. While I, I while I obviously think Crystal is wrong, I understand what he was trying to do there. Does that make sense? Oh, certainly, yeah. And I, as a part of that too, Crystal at one point said, "Oh, well, I'm anti-war too." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, oh man, uh, yeah. But this is part of the problem that you run into when you have a debate like this. And, and my good friend, my very good friend, Keith Knight and colleague at the, the Libertarian Institute debated this arch neocon, Kevin Castley. Basically he's a nobody. Um, I don't know of anyone below the age of like 45, who's a neocon at this point in time. Um, but he has this show where he, he debated people, you know, that's was kind of his thing, but Keith got on, and Keith is also just a fire hose of facts and information and arguments. And the the problem you face is that you're dealing with people that have two fundamental different versions of reality. Sure. And so I believe that Keith has the, the more objective version of reality based in fact. And when Keith spouts all these facts, um, Kevin doesn't have that mutual understanding of reality. And so it's very easy for Kevin, you know, or, or Bill to be like, deny something just based off the fact that he has no personal knowledge of it. Like Kevin denied Operation Timber Sycamore, even though that's a well-documented thing, um, just because he didn't know about it. And he didn't believe that we would be funding and, and uh, funding and training uh, jihadists in Syria. So I, I think that that's kind of what Bill and Scott ran into a little bit with Bill, but with the limited time, I don't know you know, that you could go through all the Duma reports to saying that the chemical weapons attack was basically made up. Sure. Well, I think, you know, it, it reminded me a little bit about, you know, I, don't, I personally, I don't do debates. And it's not because I'm afraid, like, I, like I would debate Scott Horton. I, I, I have such a massive ego and hubris. I'd say, bring it on. I'll just, I'll just be a stand in for Crystal. I don't care. But the point being is, is that I, I don't do debates because I feel like debates are just really a shitty way of communicating and spreading information because it, in, in, in the classical view of like your, your kind of like collegiate academic debate where you're, you know, you're going to have, um, you know, you're going to have the type of rules that, that Gene and everybody do at Soho where, you know, if you theoretically had a thousand people in an auditorium who, it's kind of like, it's, I mean, you're an attorney. It's kind of like having jurors at a trial who you're trying to find people who have no biases. They've they've never heard of the the defendant, you know, or, or, or his crime before in their lives. And they're purely going by what they're hearing on stage. But that's not reality, though, right? Like, like, so, like, people are so polarized and have opinions. They can be very wrong ones, but they're wrong ones that have been drilled into their brains and they're not interested in hearing anything else. And, and and we're and, and look, we're not we're not immune to that. Like, I mean, we can we have to be honest with ourselves and be willing to have our minds changed. But our opponents are not willing to have their minds changed. Right? Like Bill Crystal didn't walk into that room thinking, well, if Scott Horton makes a good point, I'm gonna go donate to antiwar.com. That's ridiculous <laughs> on his face. We all know that that was never gonna happen. Um, but but it also wasn't really gonna happen for most people in the audience either. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. So so when you have that environment. 
it this isn't this isn't how you're going to instruct and teach and spread information. This is really just more what it is. It's it's just a pugilistic effort. You're just seeing two people duke it out, and you can have an opinion on who. And th- and this was kind of my my experience when I did do debate back in my academic years, which was you were really trying to score people more on their performance than on if you really believed them. Because that's, that's what like competitive debate is. Who does a good job of debating more so than who's right? But when you're talking about things as important as, as war and foreign policy, of course, we want things to be right. We want to be correct. And so, so I want to turn it back over to you on that. Uh, I know our friend Jeff Dice, president of the Mises Institute, had made the comment on Twitter that, look, he thinks Scott's amazing. He's doing a fantastic job. However, not only do they have a fundamentally different worldview, they're also debating in different styles. Crystal is debating with the style of, I'm painting a narrative. This is the type of thing I could pitch on CNN for 90 seconds and win a million votes. Scott's way of debating was to score points. You know, he's he's working the jab. He's he's working the judges' scorecards. And that's beautiful for us to watch, but you worry if that's really going to change a lot of minds. I guess I know that that sounds really critical, but I, like I said, I'm trying to be devil's advocate here. Does that does any of that make any sense? No, I think it does and I think it rings true to Bill Crystal's final argument in his closing statement basically was Hey, I, I don't think it's fair. Uh, I don't think it's proper to go in and debate someone and assume that they have ill intentions and that their actions, that their motivation for uh, what they're arguing in the debate is based from a, a place of malice, basically. And mm-hmm. I I personally, I mean, I'm certainly biased towards Scott, uh, you know, knowing and, and working with him. But um, I thought that all in all, the, the facts kind of spoke for themselves. <laughs> I, I don't think that, that Scott was so overtly uh, prejudiced against Bill as a person. I don't think he really attacked him personally except one or two jabs that I don't think Bill even understood because they were kind of inside baseball. But um, I think the facts speak for himself. I, I mean, like, we're talking about the deaths of millions of people here. And I guess Bill could quibble about exactly what caused those deaths or, you know, he could always say that, oh, the deaths would have been greater had we done nothing. Uh, that doesn't really prove anything, and there's no way of proving it. But I, I think I, yeah, I understand what you're you're getting at. And I think that if you're trying to think about exactly what Scott's objective was in this debate, um, I don't know, I don't know exactly what it was. I think my objective for it, and I what I think what kind of happened was that Bill was exposed for a not really knowing much about this topic and B uh, just, I don't know if he's ever heard these arguments before. Sure. Frankly. Yeah. That was my impression. Well, I, you know, that kind of brings me to the, to the last point I want to make, and then I'm going to take off my, my devil's hat for the, for the rest of the evening, uh, which is Crystal's biggest, I feel like, complaint or exception that he took with with what Scott was saying was, you know, was was it's funny. Bill Crystal is so anti-Trump, but so much of his defense was America first. You, and you, I see you nodding your head over there and say, I know you know where I'm going with this is that he really took exception with Scott having this line of, 
well, we did this. We, as in America, we've caused this. We've brought it upon ourselves. We killed these people. We caused these disasters. We caused these uh, famines. It's it's because of our intervention. We are to blame. Bill Crystal's the kind of person who would never assume the American empire to take any blame, basically. Of course, he said multiple times, well, mistakes have been made. Well, it's so flippant, right? Oh, I made a mistake. A million babies are dead. Oops, what a mistake that was. And so he might have been willing to admit that mistakes were made in executing policy, if that makes sense. But he absolutely would never take blame as in, take blame as in the American empire should take blame. Um, but I will say this, and I'll, and I'll turn it back over to you. Um, I understood what Scott was saying. I thought Crystal's comeback to that was very weak and, and not convincing. However, in terms of just messaging to the masses, I think Scott could have maybe done a little bit better job of saying, look, it wasn't America that killed and displaced people. It was the evil politicians. It was it was the 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 state actors who make up Leviathan that did those things. Like, let's put names and faces on the war criminals who are responsible for these atrocities and not saying we did it. And and again, this is something that we we have to be careful of using that word we as opposed to being very specific about who should be taking the blame. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't we everyone. It was you, Bill, and it was your friends. <laughs> yes. So that maybe that would have been the the accurate response. Um yeah, but I it all really kind of ties into this myth of American exceptionalism and um thinking that the United States is uniquely uniquely positioned to be the world's hegemon and he wouldn't he he actually he denied that we're a world empire, but he used other euphemisms like uh, I don't know, benevolent hegemon or something like that, or director of the rules-based world order. Um, and and I, I really think I do see this because when I was doing personal injury work, the firm that I worked at was literally one of the biggest, most successful personal injury firms in the state of Wisconsin. And we had attorneys on staff that were trying, you know, I worked on million dollar cases, uh, multi-million dollar cases. And I, I got a little taste of this is that when when you you get this vision of yourself when you're doing something like that, that these are things that are above normal people. And I think that, um, you know, it's hubris for certain and it's a little conceited, but I could certainly see how people in that position of power think that they're playing on a different playing field and that different rules apply to them. So from Bill Crystal's point of view, He's playing God and he's dealing with problems that are on a whole different level than the regular man. And so in that effect, he's kind of like, well, look, I mean, we're doing these things and, you know, sure, mistakes were made, but I'd like to see you playing baseball in, you know, in this arena where where we're dealing with these issues that are are very heavy and you're just being naive and you don't understand the things that are at play. And I think the the counter to that is that, well, we don't think anyone should be playing baseball like this. The game shouldn't exist. So I, I certainly I can see where Bill might have that point. And I don't know, frankly, it's it's hard to me. It's hard for me to think of a situation in which Bill Crystal is not a bloodthirsty demon. Um, <laughs> it, it's really tough. I try to entertain the possibility that he really is well-intentioned, uh, but facts and and just kind of push me the other direction. 
Well, uh, I think we'll I think we'll wrap it up on that one. Uh, Patrick, where can people go to support you and check out Liberty Weekly? Yeah. So if you want to support me and and check out my work at the same time, you can just head to libertyweekly.net forward slash support. You'll find a bunch of links there, but you also find the links to all my content. Uh, but I'd also encourage everyone to check out myself and all the other fine podcasts at the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. Fantastic. Well, guys, uh, we're going to be back to wrap up the show right after this commercial break. Don't go away. Hi, guys. It's Alan here, and I want to take a moment to let you know about one of our supporters who started a new business. Laura Moreau sells 50 different health and wellness all-natural products from weight loss, supplements, energy enhancers, body toning, longer and stronger hair, and so much more. Do you like coffee? Well, they even have coffee that'll help you drop some pounds. And who doesn't want to drop a few pounds? Go check her out at her online store at lauramoreau.itworks.com today. That's lauramoreau.itworks.com. Like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash TV. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com at TV. Subscribe to our YouTube page, it's youtube.com slash TV. Guys, we're now on Odyssey. Don't just complain about not having a free speech platform. Go and support one, odyssey.com. Search for us at TV or It's Too Late with Alan Mosley. If you're more of a listener than a watcher, you can get us on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, thanks to Anchor FM. It's anchor.fm slash TV. So when we were getting ready to do the finale, because um, we had the first end of the show, then we had a really awesome interview with Patrick. Everybody mm-hmm. check out Patrick yeah. McFarlane. And I, sa- and I said to Sherry, you know, episodes have got to be one hour, not a, not a <laughs> second over. And so I go, we got to do the finale. What are we at? And Sherry says, we're at an hour and 17 seconds. <laughs> So every moment that we sit here in the finale is another moment beyond the deadline. Oh, does that mean I'm going to get flogged? Well, I guess you don't give a shit because you're, you're leaving. <laughs> you don't care. That's right. Sherry, where are you going? I'm, I'm heading off to the land of fruits and nuts, California. Everybody, a, a little while. everybody's leaving California. This dumb bitch right here is going, she's going to proselytize, y'all. She's going to spread liberty. Hey, what better time to be in California than when there's no Californians? I'm just saying. Like, I think it's smart. You know, you might have a point there. You might yeah, have a point there I with that. Know. So, um, but you're not leaving forever, though, right? No, no, no. Just, I, I'm just uh, four to six weeks. Because I don't know how many more goat farmers we can find. <laughs> to run this damn show. <laughs> um, well, in the meantime, we got to find somebody else to, to do button clickies and laugh at all oh. my jokes and right and all that stuff. That's a hard job, man. It is a hard job. <laughs> I, I had a few ideas in mind of people that could do it, and most of those people, um, I mean, I guess I'm blocked. I don't even see them anymore. <laughs> um. So we'll, uh, I guess we'll just carry on, I suppose, even though 
Yeah, even though such a... I mean, even though 33% of our staff is, is, is boycotting our mandates. And, and moving on. Uh, so everybody, Fs in chat, please, for Sherry. But uh, until then, <laughs> if you're... If you're looking to get your feet wet for an unpaid internship as a producer of a podcast. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of It's Too Late. And we will see you next week.